Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Supreme Court overturns a state gun control law that bans certain people from ever purchasing handguns again. It's after the high court's landmark decision in June, which forced states to loosen rules on who can carry in public. The DOJ has released a termination letter of a former top FBI official. It has to do with the agency's investigation into Russia and former President Trump. Trump is suing CNN. Find out why he filed a half-billion-dollar lawsuit against the media organization. Sparks fly on Twitter as Elon Musk puts forward his own solutions to end the Russia-Ukraine war. Find out the details. The Supreme Court has reversed a decision that upheld a gun control law in Massachusetts. It comes months after the high court expanded Second Amendment rights. And today's Jessica Beatty explains. The Massachusetts gun law that was just reversed Monday had imposed a lifetime ban on purchasing handguns on anyone convicted of a nonviolent misdemeanor that involved the possession or use of guns. The case is called Morin versus Liver. It involved a Massachusetts man who was arrested in 2004 for carrying a gun in a museum in Washington, D.C. While at the museum, he saw a sign prohibiting firearms, so he asked a guard about checking his gun. Police arrested him and charged him with carrying a pistol without a license and possession of an unregistered firearm. Although he did have a valid Massachusetts license to carry firearms, he was unaware that D.C. laws prohibited him from carrying his gun, even with a license. He later pleaded guilty to the charges, both misdemeanors. Fourteen years later, he applied in Massachusetts for a firearms ID card and a permit to buy a firearm. But police denied his application because of his prior arrest. The Supreme Court disposed of the pending case. It comes after the High Court's landmark decision in June, which recognized a constitutional right to bear firearms in public for self-defense. The decision forced states with strict gun laws to loosen restrictions on who can carry in public. This has helped lead to a boom in gun sales in blue states. Meanwhile, concealed carry insurance providers say they've witnessed a boom across the country over the past few years, especially amid rising crime rates and a failure to stop criminals since the defund the police movement in 2020. It's driven more Americans to buy firearms for self-defense. Concealed carry holders must obtain insurance in case they use their weapons and face legal fees. The group that runs the U.S. Concealed Carry Association told Fox News that membership has more than doubled since 2020. Another group, Law Shield, has also seen a surge in membership, noting that the fastest emerging market among gun owners are women and minorities. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. More on the Supreme Court, they've rejected a challenge to the federal COVID-19 vaccine mandate for health care workers. Justices didn't offer an explanation for their decision. The high court turned down a petition from 10 states to hear the case. They already heard a preliminary case in January this year. In a 5-4 to four ruling, the justices said that the mandate falls within the authorities that Congress gave federal health officials. The justices also stated that health care workers getting COVID-19 vaccines would, quote, substantially reduce the likelihood that health care workers will contract the virus and transmit it to their patients. At the time, health officials had already said that the vaccines perform poorly against infection and don't lower transmission. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote an opinion against the court's majority ruling. He said that the government's health agency wasn't granted the broad authority to force health care workers to get a vaccine. 
And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is ending another COVID-19 measure. The CDC says it will no longer maintain a country-by-country list of travel advisories. The health agency is now only posting a notice if they are concerned about a particular variant or if there is another situation that would change the travel recommendations. This ends the COVID-specific travel notices that began back in January 2020. The agency notes that fewer countries are actually testing or reporting cases, which limits their ability to assess those destinations accurately. The CDC still advises anyone traveling out of the country to stay up to date on COVID-19 vaccines and follow its guidance for international travel. From public health to the Justice Department, the DOJ has made public a termination letter to a former FBI deputy assistant director. Peter Strzok was fired in 2018 for alleged bias in the probe into then-President Trump and Hillary Clinton. A draft of the FBI's termination letter was recently made public in a legal case brought by former FBI Deputy Assistant Director Peter Strzok against the agency. Strzok was fired in August 2018 for, quote, repeated sustained errors of judgment while leading the probe into Russia and President Donald Trump in the investigation into former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. In the letter, FBI's Deputy Director David Bowditch told Strzok, quote, Your sustained pattern of bad judgment in the use of an FBI device has called into question for many the decisions made during both the Clinton email investigation and the initial states of the Russian collusion investigation. In short, your repeated selfishness has called into question the credibility of the entire FBI. Strzok exchanged thousands of text messages with FBI lawyer Lisa Page while the investigations were happening. They both showed animosity against Trump and his supporters. After being fired, Strzok filed a legal complaint seeking to get reinstated and compensated for it. He alleged that the FBI's decision to fire him violated his constitutional rights and that it was, quote, the result of unrelenting pressure from President Trump and his political allies in Congress and the media. Trump repeatedly posted missives on social media about Strzok, calling him one of the bad players in the government and saying he should have been fired a long time ago. The FBI deputy director also told Strzok in the letter, quote, In my 23 years in the FBI, I have not seen a more impactful series of missteps which called into question the entire organization and more thoroughly damaged the reputation of the organization. You fail to do so repeatedly and put your own interests about the interests of the organization. Though it pains me to do so, it is for this reason that I am dismissing you from the roles of the FBI. New details about the documents seized from former President Trump's Florida residence. DOJ investigators previously found potentially sensitive material that they weren't supposed to see. Now they've made the details public. The Department of Justice set up a special team to look over the documents taken from Mar-a-Lago in August. This was to separate any materials that may be protected, including by attorney-client privilege. But on two occasions, workers not on the review team came across privileged materials. In a newly unsealed document, the government said one was a document on Morgan Lewis letterhead mixed in with newspapers. Morgan Lewis is an international law firm. The second was a 39-page set of materials that appeared to reflect the former president's calls. Most of the pages in the set were titled The President's Calls and included the presidential seal. The documents contain handwritten names, numbers, and notes. And Trump is suing CNN for defamation. He claims the media outlet used its influence as a leading news organization to defeat him politically. Trump says the network just recently ramped up its attacks because they fear he will run for president again in 2024. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more. The lawsuit was filed in a U.S. District Court in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on Monday. The former president is seeking $475 million in punitive damages and $75 million in compensatory damages. 
Trump's attorneys say CNN's efforts resulted in them claiming credit for getting Trump out in the 2020 presidential election, and that their campaign of dissuasion in the form of libel and slander against Trump has only escalated in recent months. The filing claims CNN tried to taint Trump in the minds of viewers with a series of scandalous, false, and defamatory labels of racist, Russian lackey, insurrectionist, and ultimately Hitler. The complaint notes the network has failed and refused to retract or correct their false and defamatory statements. The filing also notes undercover footage captured of a CNN employee, admitting that the company's coverage and negative characterizations of Trump were intended to convince viewers to vote him out of office. CNN said it had no comment on the lawsuit. Trump says he will also file lawsuits against other media outlets in the coming weeks and months. He didn't name any outlets specifically, but collectively referred to them as fake news media companies. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Trump on Monday said he may take, quote, appropriate action against the January 6th committee. The statement was part of the announcement about the defamation lawsuit against CNN. It's unclear whether Trump was threatening to bring legal action or something else. A spokesperson for the committee did not immediately respond to a request for comment. In other news, Tesla Motors and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk delved into geopolitics on Twitter yesterday. He proposed possible peace solutions in the Ukraine-Russia military conflict. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Musk presented a four-part plan to facilitate peace in Eastern Europe and asked his followers for their thoughts. The first step is to rehold elections of annexed regions, this time under UN supervision. If the public votes against a Russian takeover, then Moscow would leave. The second part is to reaffirm Crimea as formerly part of Russia. The final two aspects consist of assuring the water supply in Crimea and having Ukraine remain a neutral party. Musk states that this is highly likely to be the outcome in the end anyway, and that it is just a question of how many die before then. He also pointed out that a possible, even if unlikely, outcome from this conflict is nuclear war. Musk's Twitter commentary garnered the attention of the Ukrainian government and several high-profile individuals. Zelensky advisor Mikhail Podolyan questioned whether Musk was attempting to legitimize pseudo-referendums, referendums he said that occurred at gunpoint under conditions of persecution, mass executions, and torture. Chess champion Garry Kasparov accused Musk of trying to reward years of Putin's war crimes with Ukrainian blood and land. Meanwhile, Zelensky responded with his own poll. He asked Twitter users which Elon Musk they liked more, the one who supports Ukraine or the one who supports Russia. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, attacks against Jews are on the rise in New Jersey. We hear from an advocate on how this type of hatred can be stopped. And the United Nations is taking steps to ease inflation worldwide. It's calling for price controls and tighter regulation. An economist tells us his perspective on whether this is the right direction in just a moment here on NTD News Today. The Homeland Security Committee met on Monday to discuss violent extremism and anti-Semitic threats. We hear more from our next guest, who is an activist for marginalized voices. Joining us now is Emmy-winning actor-host filmmaker Yuval David, who works with the organization End Jew Hatred. Thank you for speaking with us today, Yuval. Thank you so much for having me on your show. According to the House Committee on Homeland Security, there has been a 25% increase in anti-Semitic attacks in New Jersey over the last year. What do you think is causing this? 
Well, one of the problems is this isn't just New Jersey, it's across the country. We're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism, which I actually refer to as Jew hatred across the country. It's happening on social media. It's happening in public forums. We're seeing it in media. We're seeing it in entertainment. We're seeing it on the streets, for example, in New York City and in Chicago and in Los Angeles and in these major cities. We're seeing attacks on Jews, people who are wearing things like what I'm wearing, this Magen David, the Star of David around my neck. What is the cause of it? I think the cause of it is the fact that there's this rise in emboldened hatred across the country. We're seeing it on the right and we're seeing it on the left. We're seeing it within far right conservative groups and far left progressive groups. There's a problem when anti-Semitism, when this Jew hatred is so emboldened, where people refer to it as the canary in the coal mine. When Jew hatred is so publicly expressed, it's a sign that there are worse things that are happening within the society. And Yuval, how can this violence be stopped? It can stop when more people speak up. I always say that the best response to hate speech is more speech. So for those of us who are hearing it or seeing it, respond to it. Respond with positivity, respond with information. If you can read books about the topics to know what you're talking about, or at least respond with love, respond with kindness, especially on social media. Whenever I have these speaking engagements and workshops, I say that it is so important whenever you see some negative comment, Write five positive comments, no matter if it's even to the same post. It could be to your friend, to your family, whatever it is. We need to counterbalance the amount of hate speech with positive speech. Some argue the creation of Israel was a colonialist act of dispossession, and it discriminates against Palestinians. First, what are your thoughts on this? And second, how does this play into the increasing violence we're seeing? Jews have always lived in Israel. Jews have always had a presence in Israel. Uh, Jews have been occupied by the British, by a colonialist empire, by the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire, by the, the Greeks, by the Romans. Uh, we have so many, such a history of being occupied and colonized by other people who kick us out of our land, and we keep trying to go back. This is something we talk about throughout Jewish history. So firstly, Jews do have a place in that land. It is proven by history. Secondly, uh, my great-great-grandparents fled the pogroms in Russia to go back to the Promised Land and purchased land. They purchased lots of sand and rocks and converted that into uh, um, uh, agricultural land. We have uh, orchards there. So they purchased this land. So I can speak about that from a personal perspective. So in terms of Israel being accused of being a white supremacist colonialist country, th that is not factual. They have they purchased land. They also won land within wars, which from prime minister after prime minister in the peace dealings have been giving land away or giving land back, whatever your perspective is, in this land for peace dealing. The problem is Israel keeps giving land and doesn't receive the peace. Well, Yuval David, with End Jew Hatred, thank you so much for your insight today. It's a pleasure to be on your show, and it's one of the reasons that I'm the director of mobilization for the End Jew Hatred Movement because I firmly believe that everybody has to live their lives as an activist and as an advocate to end hatred in any form. Thank you. Thank you. 
New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Kentucky, and Illinois are deploying several National Guard units to the U.S.-Mexico border. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu's office says the four states are sending 500 soldiers. The units will act under the command of the 941st Military Police Battalion, which already has 44 soldiers in place. An additional 120 soldiers from the 237th Military Police Company will be deployed. They will set up surveillance sites along the border to block the laundering of drugs, weapons, and money into the U.S. by Mexican cartels. The units will cover a 250-mile stretch where illegal immigrants have been flooding into the U.S. The announcement comes just weeks after Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced he was reducing the 10,000 National Guard soldiers he had in place down to 5,000. Next, we take a look at U.N. recommendations to tackle inflation on a global scale. We hear from an expert on what kind of impact this could make and how we arrived at this point. Joining us now is economist and public policy analyst Michael Bussler, who is also a professor of finance at Stockton University. Great to have you on the show today, Michael. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It's always my pleasure to be here. A U.N. report is warning that the world is on the brink of a global recession and advocates for price controls, windfall taxes, and tighter regulations to fight inflation. Do you think this is the right solution? No, it is absolutely the uh, wrong solution. Um, The U.N., I think, is providing good um, information, really, to everybody in the world. The U.S. is in a recession. China is likely in a recession. That's about 30 percent of the world's GDP and other countries Uh, are going to follow. Unfortunately, at this point, because the Federal Reserve in the U.S. and central banks in other countries didn't do anything about inflation all of last year. In fact, they said it was temporary, transitory, it'll go away. Um, Obviously, that was wrong. That's never happened in history. Why they thought it would happen this time, I'm not sure. So the central banks, the Fed and other countries, increasing the rate of growth in the money supply, kept interest rates near zero. All of that excess demand really led to much of the inflation we have today. Finally, in March of this year, our Federal Reserve and now central banks in other countries are recognizing that inflation is a serious problem um, and it's something they have to do They have to treat right away before it gets entrenched into the economy and becomes a very, very serious problem. So the Fed is um, fighting inflation by raising interest rate. The interest rates end up going very high, uh, higher than the inflation rate. Um, And uh, that brings the inflation rate down, but it does cause a relatively severe recession. And once the inflation rate's down, then we can talk about how to get out of the recession. In the meantime, we're in for a very rough rest of this year and a very rough uh, 2023. Well, hopefully we can pull out of it soon. Now, you mentioned the U.N. is not taking the right direction on this. Is there anything the United States can do to help ease inflation across the world? Um, At this point, the only thing it can do is use monetary policy. And I say, well, the U.N. says, well, look, if prices are going up, we'll just control them so they don't go up. Well, that doesn't work. What happens is that ends up creating shortages. Uh, For those of us that are old enough to remember back in the 70s, they tried this with inflation. The price of gas was going up. They put a ceiling on it. It ended up you can only buy gas based on the letter on your license plate certain days. And when you got there, you can only buy so much and there were shortages. Price controls are not the, the answer. 
Now, you mentioned gas prices. The United Nations wants more control over commodity markets. The U.N. Conference on Trade and Development points to energy prices as driving inflation. Is this correct? Uh, energy prices are a portion of the inflation problem. Monetary policy is a large portion uh, also. Um, the way to get energy prices down is to increase the supply. You can't just say, if the market equilibrium price for gasoline is $5 a gallon, you can't just say, well, we're going to pass a law, you can't charge more than $4. What that does, it reduces the supply and increases the uh, demand, and you end up with a, uh, a shortage of the uh, product. We should have, and this is a little bit political, we, we should have uh, allowed the energy supplies to increase all of last year. Instead, the Biden administration wants to wean the country off of fossil fuels and toward clean. And when you restrict the supply of anything, uh, the price is going to go up. And the energy inflation is feeding uh, the overall inflation that uh, we do have today. So we need to reverse the energy policy. We're producing now about um, a million and a half barrels fewer per day today than we were during the peak uh, prior to the pandemic. So we can uh, produce more, and that's really the long-term answer to reducing uh, energy inflation and getting much of the other inflation under control. Supply and demand, that's one of those principles that's hard to get away from. Michael Bussler, professor of finance at Stockton University, great analysis. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. With the economic uncertainty, there are fewer jobs in the U.S. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported there were 10.1 million job openings last month. That's down more than a million available positions compared to July and the lowest it's been since June of 2021. The most recent job openings and labor turnover survey says there are nearly 1.7 vacancies for every person who is looking for one. That's also down slightly from July. The Federal Reserve likely is happy with a leaner labor market. Analysts say tight employment could increase wages and boost inflation. Requiring Costco to sell gas to the general public. That's what Democrat legislators in New Jersey are proposing. They have two bills forbidding warehouse retail chains from limiting gas sales. Neither bill mentions Costco by name, but in July, the retailer restricted gas sales in New Jersey to members only. Costco gas had been available to the general public in New Jersey since 2004 after an order from state officials. But the state government earlier this year clarified that public access to gas pumps isn't required under consumer protection laws. The two new bills aim to make Costco offers his gas to non-members again. The sponsor of one of the bills says it's vital to the public interest that non-members can access wholesale club gas since there may be fewer gas stations in the state. The rise of remote work could cause the value of New York City office buildings to come crashing down. We're talking in the billions. Researchers looked at the commercial office sector in New York City and calculated the value of those buildings could sink by over $450 billion. The study from the National Bureau of Economic Research showed property values already declined 45 percent in 2020 and are expected to remain 39 percent below pre-pandemic levels in the longer run. The head of a business advocacy group worries that the lost value could mean for the city. New York relies on real estate tax revenue, so office buildings losing so much value will likely have a significant negative impact on the city. Fraud and theft are running rampant on the electronic payment service Zelle. Senator Elizabeth Warren's office looked into the issue and citing data from large banks found fraud is increasing on Zelle. 
but banks aren't refunding most customers. That could be a violation of federal law since seven of America's largest banks own Zelle and claim it's safe. Zelle is owned by Bank of America, Capital One, J.P. Morgan Chase, PNC, Truist, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo. The investigation report found an estimated $440 million was lost by Zelle users through fraud and scams last year. In response, a bank industry advocacy group claimed Zelle's rivals, such as Venmo and Cash App, received more reports of disputed transactions. Elizabeth Holmes claimed to revolutionize blood testing with her startup Theranos until she was found guilty of fraud. But she still hasn't been sentenced, and it might not happen until next year. The judge in the case decided to allow a hearing later this month to address concerns about a key witness's testimony. Her lawyers say a former Theranos lab director showed up at her house saying he felt guilty about his testimony. A few weeks later, in a sworn declaration, he said he stands by his testimony but feels compassion for Holmes and the former Theranos COO who was found guilty on all 12 charges he faced. Both could get up to 20 years in prison and a hefty fine for each count. The judge wants to know if the lab director really did tell the truth or if he felt like his testimony was manipulated. A symbol of Christmas cheer will cost more this year. Christmas tree farms say people can expect to pay more for the perfect evergreen. A survey of 55 wholesale Christmas tree growers found 71% expect to raise wholesale prices. The growers account for about two-thirds of the nationwide supply. Many of them plan to charge retailers 5 to 15% more, with some even saying their trees will be 20% more. Tree farmers don't expect shortages because this year's harvest looks good, but they say operating costs have gone up over the last year. That includes everything from labor and raw materials to shipping trees to retailers. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, North Korea sends a ballistic missile over Japanese territory. Japan issues an alert warning citizens to take cover. And China is selling liquefied natural gas from the U.S. to Europe. We take a closer look at why there's so much excess after the break. Good to have you back with us. North Korea conducted its longest-range missile test yet today. They fired a ballistic missile over Japan for the first time in five years. The missile appeared to fly over Japanese territory before falling into the Pacific Ocean. In Japan, the government issued an alert warning its citizens to take cover and stay inside buildings. The launch also caused a temporary suspension of train operations in the north of the country. Pyongyang's latest launch drew condemnation from leaders in neighboring countries, from South Korea's President Yoon Suk-yeol to Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. Tokyo said it took no steps to shoot the missile down, but Defense Minister Yasukazu Hamada said Japan wouldn't rule out counterattack capabilities. The latest launch was Pyongyang's fifth in 10 days and comes a week after anti-submarine drills were held between the U.S., South Korea and Japan. Recent missile tests have drawn relatively muted responses from Washington, which is focused on the war in Ukraine, as well as other domestic and foreign issues. Washington has strongly condemned this most recent missile, however, calling the decision both dangerous and reckless. 
China is selling liquefied natural gas from the U.S. to Europe. We take a closer look at why there's so much excess. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. As the demand for energy dies down at home, Chinese companies are left with some extra liquefied natural gas bought from the U.S. And they're making a profit selling that access to Europe and Asia. That's according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. China struck a long-term liquefied natural gas deal with the U.S. under the Trump administration. The agreement aimed to make China import more from the U.S. As of this year, China has over 70 million tons of contracted gas from the U.S. deal. But it's predicted to only need about 90 percent. So the nation will have several million tons of extra gas. For the first eight months this year, Chinese exports of the fuel to Europe soared. It sold over $400 million worth of liquefied natural gas to Europe and Asia. That's compared to over $7 million worth last year. It's difficult to estimate how much profit Chinese companies are making off the excess gas. But each cargo shipment could bring them hundreds of millions of dollars. With the flow of Russian gas to Europe dwindling, the shift is helping China. Now it seems Chinese manufacturers are keeping Europeans warm this winter amid the energy crisis. Electric blankets, electric kettles, sleeping bags, and hot water bottles, all made in China, are flying off the shelves. Let's take a look. According to Chinese reports, this created a boom for Chinese factories. Some electric blanket factories are producing at full capacity to keep up with demand. One factory in China's Dongguan City is operating 24 hours a day. Dongguan City is a major Chinese manufacturing hub and is considered the world's factory. The factory manager said sales of electric blankets this year have tripled that of the same period last year. He's seeing the highest sale numbers in half a decade. The factory has to run three consecutive shifts to keep production going around the clock. Electric blanket exports to Europe hit over $30 million from January through July. This is almost double compared to all of last year. And in Europe, a simple rubber hot water bottle is around 10 euros or $10, while the same product is around 70 cents in China. It seems like people in Europe are buying up so much winter essentials from China that has gone viral on Chinese social media. The hashtag Europeans buying frenzy of Chinese electric blankets has gotten over 200 million views. One Chinese social media user joked, I think we can safely say that the world can go without Russia, but we'll always need China. Still to come, in Africa, Burkina Faso had its second military coup of the year. NTD speaks with a geopolitical analyst to see why some of the protesters had Russian flags. We'll return with that and more after this break. In West Africa, Burkina Faso has experienced its second coup of the year. Now an army captain who led the military coup has become the leader of the nation. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Cheering filled the streets of Burkina Faso's capital after the country's second military coup of the year. It's a feeling of joy. I'm proud to be a Burkina Bay. This pride has never disappeared. At a given moment in our history, this civil military insurrection was needed to face the crisis we're experiencing. 
The former Burkina Faso president, Paul Henry Damiba, resigned on Sunday under seven conditions, including a guarantee for his own safety and the safety of the soldiers who protected him. An army officer addressed the nation in a press conference following the coup. Captain Ibrahim Troure is now in charge of the current affairs of the state until the swearing-in of the president of Faso, designated by the living forces of the nation. I spoke with geopolitical analyst Irina Sukerman to get her assessment. The, this chain of events may have been in the works and prearranged for some time, which is why it took place uh, peacefully and not marked by violent incidents as we have seen in other such displacements uh, in the region. Then I asked her about the Russian flags that could be seen among the protesters. It, it, it indicates the expanding pattern of Russian military involvement in Africa, which is resource-rich. Uh, U.S. has been in a, in, a, in a race for rare earth minerals throughout the African continent uh, with uh, China and to a less extent, but still very much there, Russia. And she added that if the security situation is not stabilized in the near future, Africa could become the new front of jihadist activity that could expand into Europe and from there globally. Jason Perry, NTD News. A Russian TV journalist has been placed on the wanted list after fleeing house arrest. She became famous for staging an on-air protest against Russia's war in Ukraine in March. 44-year-old Marina Obsinikova is facing up to 10 years in prison. The case relates to a protest in July when she stood on a river embankment opposite the Kremlin. She held up a poster calling President Vladimir Putin a murderer and his soldiers fascists. The state-run news outlet Russia Today reported that she fled along with her 11-year-old daughter. On Monday, her name could be seen on the Interior Ministry's online list of fugitives from justice. The Ukraine-born reporter came to international prominence by walking in front of studio cameras during an evening news broadcast. She held a placard that read, Stop the war and they're lying to you. And in other news, critically endangered leopards are under threat from wildfires in Russia's far east forests. The blazes are destroying vast areas of their habitat. The Amur leopard was once the world's rarest cat with an estimated population of 30 leopards. The World Wildlife Fund now estimates there are 120 of them left in the wild. But in recent years, Russia has experienced especially widespread forest fires. Experts blame them on unusually dry summers and high temperatures. The wildfires in Russia's Far East have ravaged almost 5 million acres of forest. If too much land is scorched, even if the leopards aren't caught in the fire, they are still threatened. World Wildlife Fund Russia is now monitoring the situation in the region with the local government. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, the UK's government has U-turned on plans to cut taxes for the highest earners following a week and a half of political turmoil. And apple farmers in northern Italy have a solution to rising energy costs. They're using caves as refrigerators. It's a controlled environment to store their harvest. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. The UK government has abolished plans to cut taxes for the highest earners in an unexpected U-turn. 
Prime Minister Liz Truss and Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng faced mounting political pressure in the midst of 10 days of market chaos, with a potential Conservative Party rebellion pushing the change in policy. Entity's Malcolm Hudson is in London. This sudden U-turn from the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, where they've abolished the plans cut to the top rate of income tax, comes following a sequence of events. From the drop in the pounds to a potential Tory rebellion over the tax cuts brewing over the weekends. Speaking to BBC Breakfast, Kwasi Kwarteng defended the mini-budget as well as the U-turn, saying the 45% rate cut had become a distraction. There's been a huge range of economic reforms announced in the package, and 95% of the package is 100% uh, what we're focused on. This 45p rate became a distraction, uh, and I, uh, along with the Prime Minister, decided that the best course of action uh, would simply be not to proceed with the abolition of the rate. Just hours before, Kwarteng had been due to tell the Conservative Party conference they must stay the course on the mini-budget plans. But the mounting political pressure became too much. Compared to other tax cuts and the energy bill's support scheme, the 45% rate tax cuts cost relatively little. Only £2 billion compared to £19 billion for scrapping the national insurance rise. However, a tax cut for top earners, while millions face the cost of living crisis, didn't look good to voters. That drove ever more vocal opposition from Tory MPs, who threatened to vote against the plan. Under this pressure, Truss and Kwarteng enacted the U-turn. Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves said the U-turn was the right decision, but added that so much damage had already been done. Anybody who's coming up to renew their mortgage, anybody who's trying to get on the housing ladder, is seeing a higher cost of borrowing because of Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng and their reckless mini-budget a week and a half ago. Former Cabinet Ministers Michael Gove and Grant Shapps were among the Tories vocal against tax cuts for top earners. Shapps welcomed the U-turn, while Gove suggested he could now support the package. Decisions over benefit levels may be the next battleground for Truss and Kwarteng. So far, Truss hasn't committed to increasing benefit payments in line with inflation. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News London. Great Britain's energy regulator Ofgem has warned that the country faces a significant risk of gas shortages this winter as the supply from Russia to Europe has been all but cut off. In a letter obtained by the Times, the regulator said the country might face a gas supply emergency. Great Britain produces a lot of its own gas, but the majority is still imported. It has pipeline connections to Norway, which supplies a large amount of the country's gas. The UK imported very little Russian gas before the war, but will still be affected by the shortages likely to be faced in Europe. More than 8 in 10 UK households use gas to heat their homes, and more than 40% of the electricity generated in Britain over the last year came from gas-powered plants. Ofgem said if a potential supply emergency becomes bad enough this winter, these power plants and other big gas users might be cut off temporarily. Firework displays are fizzling out in some areas of the United Kingdom amid cost-of-living concerns. Organizers say they can't afford to put on larger displays. Leeds City Council said firework displays in the city have been scrapped to slash non-essential spending. The council said the decision was taken because of budget pressures and rising energy costs. Organizers of Cardiff's Sparks in the Park also said its annual fireworks event in Cardiff has been canceled because of rising costs. Other events have been canceled too, with some councils citing environmental concerns. 
In London, Hackney Council canceled its fireworks event in Classed Park. The Labour-led council said this was due to pressure from rising inflation and also air quality implications. The cancellation of larger displays raises concerns that more people will have their own fireworks displays, which could cause a rise in injuries. Apple farmers in northern Italy are using natural refrigerators carved under a hillside to store their harvest. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on these underground fridges. Almost a thousand feet beneath their orchards, apple farmers created 34 refrigeration areas in vast caves. It's a controlled environment that remains at a constant temperature in all seasons. They are able to keep about 12% of their produce there and cut their energy costs. According to a test done last year inside the cave and an external fridge, the cave saved 32% of electricity, so a very important saving. Inside the refrigerated areas of the caves, the apples are stored in stacked up plastic boxes. Workers in safety helmets move them around with forklifts. Large refrigerators above ground have to use a special insulated panel to keep the inside cool. In the underground caves, the rocks act as the panel. Instead of cooling and creating refrigerated areas as we do outside, which is with layered panels made of polyutherane and sheet metal inside and out, here we are using rock, leaving it as natural as possible. Some of the farmers say they were skeptical when they first heard of the cave idea, but were quickly won over by the results. We were hesitant at first. Then we realized that it works because there it saves energy and it is very sustainable. We hope to be able to keep going with our project. As summer comes to an end above ground, the harvest has begun and farmers are picking apples from orchards. We started the harvest a few days ago. It will go on for the next 30 or 40 days. And once all the fruit has been picked, they will be stored in caves around 500 meters from here, where they will be kept throughout the winter and then sold throughout the year. The caves currently store around 30,000 tons of apples, a figure expected to increase to more than 40,000 tons in the near future. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A railroad engineer and the former head of traffic safety in Spain will stand trial over their role in one of the country's worst rail disasters in decades. 80 people died and 140 were injured in 2013. That's when an eight-car high-speed train crumpled and caught fire after slamming into a concrete wall in northern Spain. The train was carrying passengers a day before the festival of St. James the Apostle. It's Santiago, Spain's biggest event and is held annually on July 25th. Both defendants are charged with 80 counts of manslaughter, 145 counts of injury, and one count of damages. The total claim for damages exceeds $56 million. The public prosecutor's office is asking for four years in prison for both. The court proceedings are expected to take months with more than 700 witnesses and experts to take the stand. Chile's Atacama Desert is witnessing a sea of wildfires, wildflowers in full bloom. The president announces a new national park to preserve this wonder of nature. The Atacama is the driest and sunniest desert in the world. After this year's winter rains in the southern hemisphere, the arid plains are now flourishing with pinks and purples. 
Flowering in the desert is a natural phenomenon that occurs once every three to five years. It also appears in other deserts around the globe. But in Chile, there are close to 200 flowering species decorating the sand-covered landscape. The Chilean president said the new national park will protect the area and promote local tourism. Chile boasts a high level of natural resource protection. The new decree, once approved, will mark the 44th national park in the country. A historic 207-year-old outdoor swimming pool is reopening in Bath, England. This follows an 18-year-long renovation. Cleveland pools welcomed swimmers last weekend for the first time in almost 40 years. The first 100 swimmers all entered a competition to be there. This is the oldest public outdoor swimming pool in the U.K. It was built in 1815 based on the designs of architect John Pinch. But by the 1970s, the pool lost its popularity due to competition from heated indoor pools. It shut down in 1978 and then closed permanently in 1984. A community-led renovation campaign cost close to $10 million. Cleveland Pools is currently unheated, but by next summer, it will be heated for the peak summer months. Most people take their muscles for granted. It's pretty easy to do. Unless you're trying to be a bodybuilder, you probably don't think about them at all. And it's a huge mistake, especially if you're over 50. Do you like independence? Things like carrying groceries, putting away dishes, cutting the grass or gardening. What about being able to go out for a walk or being able to withstand a bump or fall? Muscle is essential for all of that. Thankfully, just using your muscles can offer support. Walking, carrying things or putting other forms of tension upon them can help them activate and strengthen, but that's really not enough. As you get older, you naturally lose muscle mass annually, putting you at risk for sarcopenia. Sarcopenia is essentially the osteoporosis of muscle. So one thing to do is to get more active. The more you show your muscles they are needed, the less likely they are to waste away. Take some time each week to perform specific resistance exercises as that can help a lot. This can include three 30-minute sessions per week. You can do exercises like wall squats or push-ups. If you can't do push-ups on the ground, stand and use your kitchen counter. You can also lift items from the ground. For example, lifting some books or an ottoman can help. Just be sure to lift with your legs, keeping your back straight. You also need to make sure you're feeding your muscles what it needs to stick around and get stronger. You need protein and probably a lot more of it than you are getting. In the opinion of many experts, the daily recommended intake for protein is too low, particularly for older people who are dealing with natural muscle loss. The best sources of protein are animal products like meat, poultry and dairy. Supplementation may be worthwhile if you can't reach your targets with whole food alone. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.